Oh, enough with my board. It was not working correctly this morning. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to the Mac and Jack Sports Show, our Saturday show. I am your host, Mac, with your coach, Jack Kirsch, legendary boxing Hall of Fame writer, special ghettos, who is Doc Summoner, I refer to as Doc Lovingly, who joins us every Saturday with a couple exceptions, but we won't hold it against them. Every Saturday, where we debate the sports' hottest topics. As I said, good morning, everyone, and welcome to the show. And as you know, on Saturday, we debate some of the hottest topics. And sometimes I open the show with a question for both of them that sometimes does end in the debate. And we only got five subjects today, so I'm going to open the show with something. And as we all know, work stoppage is right now up. You know, uh, in effect for Major League Baseball, and they have plenty of time to reach an agreement. But let's suppose it doesn't. Suppose it doesn't reach an agreement and it goes into the season. And, you know, I like the term lockout, and I want to I want to get your thoughts on this when I get done. The term lockout, it kind of puts emphasis on the owners, right? We view the owners as locking the players out. So we'll say, well, maybe that's the owner's fault. I mean, they, they're not, they don't want to reach an agreement, you know, that, that it's their fault for the work stoppage. And then when it goes, if it, if it goes to a strike and that's what the owners, that's what the head of the, uh, the commissioner of baseball said anyway, they didn't want it to come to a strike during midseason. And when it's a strike, we kind of tend to take the owner's side and, and not the players in that circumstance, because the players are the ones that are actually stopping the season. So in perception, which I think is everything, and is very interesting to me with people, perception of things are the biggest thing that we look at, right? We, we're looking at something and we're trying to figure out what's going on. Well, a work stoppage is the owners are locking them out. We say, well, that's the owner's fault. You would normally think that. When the players strike, then we kind of blame the players, because they're the ones that actually stopped the season. So in a strike, guys, and I don't care what business you're in or what kind of uh, situation it is, right? If, if the teachers union strikes, for instance, this kind of puts the parents in a bad position. And at first they're kind of mad at the teachers, right? They're, they're, they're upset that the teachers did this so that they have to scramble and get their kids to school or maybe the, or maybe the school is canceled and they got to make other arrangements if the sanitation workers strike the garbage is piling up in your in your front lawn and you're kind of ticked off at at the this the sanitation workers at least in the beginning so we look as 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 maybe as a, as a bunch of individuals and to be to give you a statistic, guys, right? The average income of the American family is sixty-seven thousand five hundred and something dollars. The players in this sport are making in the millions, right? So they're making some are making thirty million dollars a year. That we can't we can't kind of identify with that, right? We we think, hey, you're playing the game. You're getting paid a lot of money, even though you're sacrificing, you're working hard, you're trying to be the best you can be in most circumstances. And we can, we've played baseball, we've played other sports, and and even if we were good in high school or whatever, 
we we can kind of look at the players and if they make mistakes or if they they don't hustle or what we, we get mad at them, right? Because you're making so much money playing a game we played, even though you're a professional and you're getting paid a lot of money to do this. But when you turn to the owners, we can't really identify with them because many of us have never run a multi-million dollar operation. Even people that own business, they're lucky to make a million dollars a year. They feel great with that. Never mind multi-million dollars. Never mind billions of dollars a year. We really don't know what it takes to do that. We know what it takes to play baseball. Most of us that play, we know what it takes. You got to hit, field, pitch, whatever you're doing. You can, you know what that is about. But to run a multi-million dollar, billion dollar corporation, we really don't know what goes into that. We think we do. But we don't know the competition that goes to the business world to make that kind of money. So all we really say is, hey, they got a lot of money. They can afford this. So in the perception part of this of, of this topic, guys, if there is a work stoppage, if this goes into the season because of a lockout, are you blaming the owners or are you blaming the players? What do you think, Jack? I don't think there's going to be any type of strike because well, I don't we're not going to say that. We're going to say it's going to happen, Jack. That's the scenario. Well, oh, yeah, I, it'll, it might, it might, it might happen. It's not going to last. Let me put it in another <laughs> way, because I don't believe the players could ever be united to make it last for a long period of time. The last few times there were these so-called work stoppages. The players gradually buckled. Uh, take the sport. We're talking about baseball here. All it takes is about three or four players per team with a recognizable name to cross the picket line. And there's enough other talent that they can fill in to actually have the games played. Okay, so the games will actually be played. It'll be a little watered down. But the fans are going to follow it. They're going to be standings and eventually little by little. Other players are going to be crossing the picket line and joining in. But you're right about the perception point, Mac. One thing's never going to change. The player's always going to be blamed. And it, it, it's it's different from blaming a teacher's union, the sanitation union, the police union, because they're not making the type of money that the players are making. So I, I think the public is a lot more tolerant of sanitation and you know, teachers and police, a lot, a lot more toler tolerant than the players, even though they might not be fully tolerant. And by the way, I lived through Hurricane Sandy. And if you saw my community after the hurricane, the debris all over the place, sanitation has a lifetime pass for me. They were heroic, the job they did. I just thought I'd give them a plug. Okay, here. But I, I don't, it, the player's always going to be blamed. They know it. it. It's just not going to last, Mac. It might start, but it's not going to last. It's not like the days of Marvin Miller where the players could be resolute to a degree. And listen, the star players, you might feel they have lifetime security. Someone like Mac Scherzer, do you think he likes the idea of first losing 5, 10, 15 million? I'm giving him as an example. Take the young player. If he holds out on a strike, he might never get another opportunity. If I'm a young player and I'm a borderline major leaguer, why on earth would I want to strike? You know, I mean, this is my one opportunity. And then, and then 
the, the NFL tried it. It didn't work. The players last time, it didn't work. But it, it just won't last. And the players are always going to get blamed no matter what because the public doesn't understand that they're entertainers. They don't look at them as entertainers because m- much of the public has played the game themselves. They want to... We all have a secret desire to be a ball player. That was my dream as a little kid. I wanted to be a baseball player. I'm sure it was Doc's. I'm sure it was yours, Mac. That's your dream when you're a little kid. And the dream becomes a reality for such a, a tiny percentage of people who play the game. And so it's hard to have sympathy for those who've gotten to the mountaintop who could actually live out their dream and get paid million of, millions of dollars so the perception is always going to be against the players, no matter what, uh, enough fair or not. What do you think, Doc? What, if this season drags out and the owners continue to lock out, who, whose side do you think the public would be on? I'm going to disagree with a lot of what, what Jack said, because I, I think the owners are in the wrong here. The owners locked out the players. Um. I think this I think this labor situation has the chance to fundamentally and irrevocably destroy or greatly hurt baseball in profound ways that the sport doesn't even realize is going to happen. Um, the sport's making money hand over fist. It's doing great. Yes, they didn't make a lot of money during COVID, uh, although they keep talking about that. But otherwise, the sport is in uh, phenomenal shape. The teams are making billions. They're being sold for billions. Um, uh, They they instituted the luxury tax, which has... um, and, and and the compensation system, which has resulted in uh, players actually making less money. Um, we, we look at the big stars who are making lots and lots of money. But, but the sport isn't – I mean, they're the big part of the sport, but the sport isn't played by the big stars. It's played by the guys who, you know, have their two- or three- or four-year career. And I think one of the things that people forget about athletes – is that their window of opportunity, as Jack was mentioning about this, is very small. So you might make a million dollars, but you might make a million dollars for two or three years. And then you're 32 years old or you're 28 years old or whatever, and you're done. And now you've got to figure it out. And that money goes quickly because, you know, obviously there's taxes that take a big percentage of that out. You have to pay your agents and 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 all sorts of stuff. So you, your million dollars a salary isn't really a million dollars. You're not taking that home. The players, as Carlos mentioned in the comments, gave in the last last two times, and and uh, a lot of analysts feel they got the raw end of the stick in those deals. And I think they're going to be very resolute, and and they're not just going to give in. But they didn't shut the sport down. It was it was the owners who shut the sport down because they're looking to make more and more and more money. And I I just think it's a bad look. It's a bad look in a time when the economy is in bad shape. Um, Certain prices are are going through the roof and you have billionaires and multi, multi, multi millionaires who are saying we want more money on the backs of the players. Um, And I'm not an economist, so I I can't get into all the specifics and all that. You're asking how it looks. And I'm I'm just talking about how it looks from from that end. You know, they canceled the winter meetings. 
And this is a time when people are still struggling financially, right? Uh, a lot of people haven't even come back from, from, from the COVID lockdowns. And so they cancel the, the winter meetings. And who does that hurt? It doesn't really hurt the players because um, everybody feels like the, the, the big name free agents, most of them were signed. Uh, the other players, they'll worry about, I guess, getting paid when, when the time comes. But who does it really hurt? It hurts the average people, the people who run the hotels, the people who clean the hotels, the people who wait the tables in the restaurants. I was just talking to a, uh, a person who was mentioning that not even out, it's, it's outside of sports, but mentioning how business travel has has lessened so much ever since COVID and talking about how in talking with people at some of the places where they used to travel to their favorite restaurants have shut down because they can't make it without the travel coming in. And, and baseball just did that. I guess, I don't know where the uh, winter meetings were going to be. I think it was Orlando, but all of those little people who were doing all those things, the shopkeepers, the gas station attendants and the hotel managers and the hotel workers and, and all of them, the, obviously they just lost out on a lot of income and a lot of, chances to put food, uh, food on the table and buy Christmas and holiday presents because the owners decided that they wanted more money and they decided to shut the sport down. Doc, um, doc, doc, but Max is talking about perception here. Yeah, right. So I'm saying, I'm saying the perception is going to go to the owners. Wrong, but what's the perception going to be? The, who's going to be held accountable more, the owners? I, I think this time it's, it's going to be the owners because the players aren't striking. It's the owners that shut the sport down. And um, I just, again, in, in this economy and this time and people trying to come back from 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 lockdowns and, and all of that to shut a sport down is, is just it, it just looks bad. And the people who shut it down wasn't the players. It the, was owners the owners always shut sports down during a strike. No, no. But this is no, no. The strike is when the players walk out. This players was a lockout. That's the owner. 90, 94 was a strike. The players shut down the season. But the Owner. owners could have done this during the season. But notice when they did it, it's timely because no one cares that much right now. I mean, I'd like to see the free agent activity play itself out in some other offseason activity in baseball. But it's not that big a deal because the games aren't being played. And even in spring training, people don't care too much about the, those games. No, I, no, but the communities do. So, so. If you think back to all those communities in Florida and yeah. Arizona, I and I, again, I don't know the economics. I'm not a, I, I, this is way out of my league when you get into this stuff, but I would venture that I'm probably correct here that in all of those little communities and small cities in Florida and Arizona, or at least in the majority of them, they have these beautiful ballparks. And I would assume that most of those beautiful ballparks were built on the back of the taxpayer and they had to float bonds and they had to do all sorts of things to, to get those things built. And they said, oh, well, the Yankees are coming in. They're going to build this beautiful George Steinbrenner field or whatever here in Tampa. And so we're going to have to raise your taxes for the next 30, 40, 50 years to pay for the bonds in order to do whatever we have to do to, to build these things. And I'm sure the same thing happened in Fort Myers for the Red Sox and, and, and in countless other communities. Now, they paid that money and they're paying that money in taxes to build these things because they're expecting baseball players to show up. And if they shut down spring training and those baseball players don't show up, 
Is Major League Baseball going to refund all that tax money to those communities? I'm sure they're not. But, but let me say this. What about all the empty seats during the pandemic? I mean, the owners had to take a terrible hit. And the players were getting their salaries. And uh, shouldn't that be made up to a degree, the money the owners lost in live attendance? Is that the players' fault? So, so you're gonna you're gonna penalize the sport? But, uh, aren't they all in it together? The owners. The I, I don't players, think they are. I think that's the problem. They don't. Be, they don't see that. They're but in if it together. were a if it were a true partnership, shouldn't the players' union have said, "Look, the people aren't in the stands. The players were getting their salaries, their contracts based on this, you know." But now with the pandemic and no attendance you know, maybe readjust salaries, contracts. But of course, the union wouldn't go for that. The players wouldn't go for that. And maybe this is a way that the owners are trying to make up the substantial income they lost because of the well, pandemic. I think one of the things, and again, I, I have to keep going to this. I'm not any, an economist. So, so a lot of this is way out of my league to talk about. You're asking perceptions. I don't think baseball has ever truly opened up its books and and shown how much money they, I think they've been very reluctant. I don't think they I think that's been part of the, the problem is they never really say how much they're worth. I can only say that like the Yankees, when you look at charts and things, their percentage of revenue spent on the team has not increased in like the last 10 or 15 years. They, 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 the Yankees value as a franchise keeps going up. But but the percentage of that uh, net worth in salaries hasn't gone up. And. So they're making more money year after year after year. And I, I don't think the Yankees are an outlier in that. So the perception is these are billionaires and millionaires who are holding out and taking a sport away from uh, the common people. And it's, I, I think it's going to have profound effects. I think baseball is losing interest anyway. I don't think it's the number one sport. I think it's been it's obviously been passed by football. I think it's being passed by basketball. I think hockey's getting a lot more interest. And if baseball doesn't show up and, and it's not around, I think people are going to say, you know what, we're going to move on. The only time I agree with you that the owners are going to be held accountable if it's a high-profile owner that's not popular, like a James Dolan, maybe a Jerry Jones, a Daniel Snyder, those are the type of owners that the public would turn against. You know, high-profile owners that are usually always in the news who aren't popular, they're not going to turn against, I don't think, a Steve Cohn. Would they have turned against a George Steinbrenner? You know, perhaps. But I, I think the owner has a lot to do with it. And, and in most cases, the owner's profile isn't such where he's going to create the controversy. No, no, but the owners as a group have have taken the game away from the fans. I'll, I'll just like well, uh, perception. I'm not talking about reality. Whether I agree, disagree, you well, know, well, just let's let's let's, let's 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 say I agree with Doc on this. I think a lockout shows that the owners are taking the action as opposed to a strike where the players are taking the action. But Doc, they might be million, multi million dollar corporations and billion dollar corporations, and you just said. You know, the contracts that players make, that's not what they really make. And just because a, a corporation is worth this or is or is perceived to be worth this because anything is worth what you're willing to pay, that doesn't mean they're making billions of dollars a year or millions of dollars a year. They got taxes to pay, they got employees to pay, they've got they've got things that they're doing besides that baseball team. 
So when you say they're multi-million dollar, billion dollar corporations, gross they might be. But that's not literally the fact. Fact is, is that they may be worth that. Your house may be worth $200,000. That means you, that doesn't mean you're going to sell it for $200,000. So in, in the bills the owners have to pay too, they got to pay the salaries. They got to run the minor leagues. They got to, all this stuff that comes in involved with owning a team. And that's just part of what they own. So what you're saying there is true to a point, but it's not factually true. If, if you want to, I mean, they haven't opened the books. No, but they don't want to see what tax. They don't want your personal information out there. And I could see them being reluctant to do that. But then you take owners that get this type of money and revenue sharing and they don't spend that on the players. Right. So, I mean, I mean, it's not just the owner's fault and it's not just the player's fault. It's a little bit of both. But in perception, I agree with you, Doc, because they took the action. So let me take it a step further. In the beginning, even in a strike, we normally take, even if we take the owner's side, eventually, when the, when the strike continues to go, I'll give the sanitation department an example. Again, the union said, once the garbage keeps piling up and at first you're ticked off at the workers, eventually you turn to the, to the, the ownership and you say, do something. I'm tired of this. You can settle this, Right. And I think it's that way in sports, too. I think eventually, even if you're upset with the players, they're making these millions of dollars, we think, and they're, they're you know, money we would never make in a lifetime. Eventually, you want to see that sport. And then you start turning to the owners and say, what's wrong with you? You can't settle this. You can settle all these multi-million dollar deals, and you can't settle this. So don't you think the longer this pursues, I'm going to go opposite of what Jack says, the longer this continues, People start getting mad at the ownership of whatever company it is and say, finally, settle this damn thing. What do you think about that? I know I know everybody talks about the fact, and, and uh, I'm not an economist, that baseball lost money during the pandemic. I'm, so I'm going to go and, and read this article from Forbes, which was uh, published on March 26, 2021, talking about the most valuable teams in 2021. And um, it says how much they had in uh, their, how, here are the team values along with the one-year change in value on a percentage basis, which means from 2020 to 2021, which would be during the pandemic when the sport was shut down. According to this chart, Every single team in Major League Baseball saw their uh, net worth team value grow even after the uh, pandemic. Now, again, you want to talk about operating costs and all that, but I'm just saying, like, they didn't see the number money go down. The Yankees were worth $5.25 billion, had a 5% increase in one year change, all the way down to the Mar Marlins, who are worth $990 million, who had a 1% increase. So none of these teams were in the red. They all are or in the black. I, I get those mixed up. None of those teams were losing money. They saw their net worth go down. They all saw their net worth go up. According to you know, Mac, you make a point which I disagree with. You're talking about certain services like with sanitation. The garbage starts piling up at first. You're mad at sanitation. Then you're mad at your 
government, you know, like to get straightened things out. Yeah, the longer I mean, baseball's non-essential service. We can do without it as much as we love it. During the pandemic, we got used to not having baseball. I mean, as much as we love it, didn't they, didn't they well, play? we get used minute, to doing without it. Didn't they it's play? Not the a service like they, we don't need it like they, Wait a minute, Jack, 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 Jack. Did they not play during COVID? Didn't baseball play? Only the second half of the year. Did they, they but didn't they play did play. The play but, 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 but when they weren't playing the first half, we we got used to the no, we season. No, we did not. Otherwise, they wouldn't have played. We did not get used to it. We outcried. The fans outcried. And that's why they played, Jack. They no, they played because the COVID situation started clearing up enough yeah. where they were able to play, finally no, I, listen, play without fans in the stands. I disagree with that. I, I yeah, there wasn't I, an uproar during COVID. Oh, there was. People were people were saying, Jack. I read it everywhere. We want our sports. We need a diversion. We're at home. We're not doing nothing. We gotta we gotta have our sports. I read that everywhere. And I think that's why Major League Baseball, of course, they want to recoup some of their money also. But that's why it went out. Recouping the money. Listen, I'm and that's why that's why. That's why the government let baseball play. Believe me, because it is the non-essential. So if it is non-essential and we weren't supposed to be doing anything that was non-essential, the government should not allow baseball to play. How's that? But they did. But they did. And they did it in basketball. And they did it in football. And they're still doing it. And we still got the COVID. And we still got another thing. I don't want to hear that it's, it's non-essential. It is essential to a lot of people. And it's essential to the government. It's essential. It's Jack, revenue it's for the not country. It's essential. It's entertainment, sports. It's revenue, entertainment. Jack. It's, it's essential revenue. to the ones that play the game and are trying to it's, earn income. It's for essential to essential, it's, but for it's us essential. as fans, it's not essential. All Jack, I, I'm telling you, I dis, I disagree. The word essential, I understand what you're saying. It's not life or death. I understand that. What I am telling you is that if it was non-essential and the government shut down almost everything, they let sports play, Jack. They let them play. And they're letting them play right now with fans without masks in college, in professional, everywhere. So for you to say it's non-essential, I understand understand the word. I I understand the wording in your right as far as the word goes, but it's not true. If it was true, the college football... Would have never started back up. Would have never had uh, no mask. Would it not? Would have never happened. So, in in the ascent, the word essential itself, the definition, you are correct. But as Doc says, there's a lot of businesses that depend on this to happen. It's more than just a sport, Jack. It's the economy of sports, and it's the people demanding that we have something to watch and something to keep our minds off this stuff. We say it's not essential. Uh, they play. They play sports during world wars. Come on, go ahead, Doc. Um, when when Jack's saying that uh, when baseball was shut down, people moved on, and and I think trying to get to the main point here is I think people are going to move on. Baseball is already on shaky ground. It's it's losing interest. Um, we, we've talked all about games on too late and people not the the sport not marketing its players like other sports do. 
And and if there's no baseball, people are are, are just going to move on. One one other point Jack made is he said we've all outgrown our dreams of playing Major League Baseball. I'm 53. I still haven't outgrown that dream, Jack. <laughs> <laughs> I'm you still know, waiting for the Yankees to call me. Uh, you know, I had a dream some years ago. I don't know why I was playing outfield for the Yankees one game. Like it was like a one game, one and done. I don't know what. So I guess subconsciously, it's still you know always going to be there. I mean, listen, listen that's maybe good. if the strike goes on long enough and the players don't come, they have to start dipping yeah, you into know, these we, old guys. We were guys. talking about the marathon and road racing once, and they had this smaller race by Shea Stadium where it's the run to home plate. You end hmm. up the race where you touch home plate when, this, when Shea Stadium was up, and you leave through the outfield. I stopped where the fence was at Shea Stadium, where the outfield is, and I kept jumping up like I was snagging a flight. Well, just imaginary, you know, trying to get the feel. I, I'll tell you, those are great athletes because the field looks so enormously big when you're standing there. And I'm telling myself, how do you judge a fly ball, a line drive? So it was fun. So I thought that would be interesting to open the show because I, I God willing, the season starts and everything goes back to normal and, and as normal as normal can be. But it's just interesting to me how people perceived it differently different things and and in you know when you meet somebody in life and whether you judge whether you're going to like him or not depends on the perception of that person what he looks like what he's doing i mean you you know we form opinions right away and uh it's a shame but that's what we do that's that's how we that's how we go through life it's the same thing in any in anything guy and i think if it was a strike they're going to blame the players if it is a lockout they're going to blame the owners the person that takes the action is perceived to be the bad guy in, in, in most circumstances, in most. Not too many people uh, take a while and sit back and look at all the, the uh, you know, all the information and what happened and how it's happened and what's going on and, and all that stuff. We normally form our basis of opinion just based off what we see and what we hear. So anyway, very interesting. I wanted to bring that up. So let's get to what we normally do here every Saturday where, uh, you know, me and Jack and now Doc kind of go at it a little bit. Anything you can do, I can do better. I can do anything better than you. No, you can't. Yes, I can. No, you can't. Yes, I can. No, you can't. Yes, I can. Yes, I can. Anything you can be, I can be greater. Yes, folks. This is the Mac and Jack debate show with special guest host. Dr. Paul Simmendinger, uh, and we try to get topics that are relevant, some that are historical, and some that make no sense at all. We just like to debate on Saturday uh, certain things. And the first one is for all the uh, Giant fans out there or people that are, you know, kind of following professional football. We know the Giants have been a terrible team for at least the last six years, right? They haven't had a winning season in I don't know how long. But – when you have bad seasons and you have continuous bad seasons, and even it's just once in certain circumstances, they start demanding that people get let go or that things change in that organization. And the Giants, of course, they hired a, uh, a GM called Dave Gettleman just a year before uh, they hired, um, I think it was Pat Shermer was, was still on there and he, he wanted to keep him or whatever. So before we start, I want to give a little background on Dave Gettleman. Dave Gettleman was with the Giants as a scout 
one of the chief scouts during the Giants Super Bowl years in the 2000s. He worked underneath Reese, and he was very uh, – he got a lot of accolades. He went on to, to be the GM of the, of the Panthers and built a Super Bowl team – well, helped build a Super Bowl team. and went to the Super Bowl and came back to the Giants uh, as their GM and kind of hasn't been as successful. So, Jack, with that being said, what do you think – should Dave Gettleman be fired – uh, at least by the end of the year, when all said and done, uh, Dave Gettleman was to us with the Carolina Panthers, you know, as well. And yes, they, I, I said that, Jack. Jack oh, right, right, right. Oh, I, okay. When the Panthers had an exceptional team that get got bumped out of the Super Bowl, for oh. while it looked like they were going to go on. They might go unbeaten for the whole season. So they really had a powerhouse, but then they <laughs> suffered the blip in the Super Bowl against the Broncos, the Panthers. But let me say this. Let's say, guys, uh, the three of us were go had to go to one movie a week together for the next five weeks. Let's make believe. And I was in charge of picking the movie. And I'd let you know the movie I picked. And you two would say, hey, good choice. We're really looking forward to this movie. But for five weeks in a row, you go to the movie and you figure this movie wasn't that good. I didn't enjoy it that much. You're going to say, don't let Jack pick the movies from now on. Even though when I made the choices, they seem to be good choices. And that's the case with Dave Gettleman. What more is he supposed to do? He signed free agents, you know, at the time, like a Nate Soldier for the offensive line, what people were saying was a good move. He's drafted well, what people have said. You know, what was apparent it was the good move. For example, everyone wanted the Giants to take Dwayne Haskins in the draft. Okay, he took Daniel Jones instead. Dwayne Haskins has been a complete bust. Imagine he listened to everybody who ridiculed him, and the Giants took Dwayne Haskins. That would have probably been a disaster. Look, he took Saquon Barkley. People were saying, oh, he should have taken the quarterback. He should have taken Sam Donald. Imagine the Giants took Sam Donald. He wouldn't have been, you know, any better with the Giants than he was with the Jets. And if, if you're going to say, oh, you don't know, he could have. Look what Sam Donald's been with the Panthers. Very so-so, and that's being complimentary. When I say that, Odell Beckham Jr., he was forced to trade him because OBJ was a terrible distraction, and he made a really good deal. You know, got a really good return for Odell Beckham Jr. And the Giants got the better of the deal with the Cleveland Browns. He moved, he traded with the Bears in the draft. He moved down from number 11 to number 20. So the Bears wanted Justin Fields. And they took Kadarius Toney with the number 20 pick. And they got an extra first round draft choice next year. Two first round draft choices. I mean, he's wheeled these deal. He's done the right thing for the most part. And it's a, this is a question someone has to be made to scapegoat. It happens all the time. Players don't get the job done the way you want them to. And it's usually coaches that have made scapegoats. Like in baseball, the Yankee coaches get let go. You know, they want to keep Aaron Boone. It's like you want to show the public you're making a move, you're doing something. Someone always has to get blamed. They let go of Jason Garrett. At the end of the year, the easiest thing to point to is Dave Gettleman because he's not going to fire the owners. 
Jonas aren't going to give up the team. People know that. So they never say get rid of the Jonas. They could say it about James Dolan, but he's not selling the team, for example. And so it comes down to either Joe Judge or Dave Gettleman, you know, for the public. One of them has to go. And people are resigned now to Joe Judge. Well, it's only a second year as a coach. Give him one more year. So they point to the older guy who they feel should know better. Normally you feel an older guy should know better. So they point to Dave Gettleman and they want him to be fired. No, he's made the right moves, but it just hasn't turned out with the players. That's why I like the what I like about Hal Steinbrenner, for example, the Yankee owner. When he evaluates Brian Cashman, anyone else in the organization, he says, I'm not going to hold it against them if I agreed with the move when they made it, if it didn't work out. I kind of like that attitude. Criticize Dave Gettleman when he makes the move. If you don't like the move when he made it and then it turns out bad, then you get rid of him. They criticized him for drafting Daniel Jones over Dwayne Haskins. But that ha- didn't turn out to be a bad move. If Dwayne Haskins was a great NFL quarterback right now, that would be reason maybe to fire Dave Gettleman for how he evaluated the personnel. But he didn't evaluate it wrong. So I say stick with Dave Gettleman uh, as the GM because I feel he, I, I'm in the minority. I actually feel he's done a good job on balance. Okay. So, you know, a lot, a lot of what you say I agree with. But unless the Giants miraculously come back and win the rest of their games, Jack, he's gone. And you're right. Um, you know, they need a scapegoat or whatever the reason may be. It's not Gettleman's fault that players get injured. It's not Gettleman's fault that, you know, that the coaches don't develop players. And it's not David Gettleman's fault that the players don't develop or don't play well. He's not, he has nothing to do with that. He does you know, he helps with the draft, which is a accumulation, accumulation of scouting, coaches, and a lot of things. It's not just he goes out and he says, oh, I like Daniel Jones better than I like Haskins. This was a joint effort. But he's the head of operations. It's it's like when Garrett got fired. Have, has the Giants offense been any better? No, it's not been any better. And, and, and I don't care who's in charge. If something is bad – they need time to develop it. I think Gettleman's in his fourth year, or this is the end of his fourth year. And, you know, they, they end up, you know, he takes over a, a giant program that had no money because the former GM just spent everything on, on bad players and bad things, we would say. The same guy he worked for, as a matter of fact. So he had to take Very a Very loose, I guess you mean. So, so he had to take a different strategy than he would have originally where he had to kind of plug and play players. And then he finally started to get the draft. I think Daniel Jones was the best quarterback of that class, whether he should, they should have took a quarterback or not. I don't know. Uh, Saquon Barkley, you know, set records as a rookie ran for over a thousand yards, 2000 yards combined. Then he got hurt. That's not Gettleman's fault. Um, you know, a couple of trades he made to get peppers, to get uh, Logan Ryan, to get, uh, you know, to get some of the great uh, defensive backs they got. I would say McKinney was a good pick. I mean, I could go on and on. But at the end of the day, he's the head of the, he's the head honcho there when it comes to player personnel and all this stuff. So I have a feeling that he's going to he's gonna get fired unless the Giants somehow turn around. They're not going to. So is it Judge's fault in the second year? Uh, that's, hard to, that's hard to say because he's got to turn around a whole program. 
Is it the offensive coordinators? No, we see it wasn't his fault. But they got to fire somebody, Jack. I mean, if you're responsible for something, why you know, do you always have to fire someone? Why can't because stay the because court? as we talked about, media pressures and influences uh, decisions. You know, I mean, you don't have to start all over again if you fire Dave Gettleman. You just have to do different things within the organization. If you fire Joe Judge, you have to start all over again. Phil Simms, when we interviewed him, he said, listen, just be patient. It's hard to say, just be patient and let things work out. And, you know, people aren't patient anymore. They're firing coaches in their first year. They're getting rid of GMs in their first, second year. There's no more patience out there, which is just a shame, right? It's a shame. Because you have to take some time to build a culture. So I don't know, Jack. I, I don't blame Dave Gettleman. He's not he's not the reason for the, the woes the Giants are in right now. There's a lot of different reasons. But if you're in charge of something and things aren't going well in four years, um, the head's going to roll. And it's probably going to be Dave Gettleman. What do you think, Doc? Well, as you know, I, I'm not a big football uh, connoisseur, but but I can look at this from the outside and look in. Gettleman's first year, the Giants went five and eleven. You say, all right, that's not his fault. He inherited a team. So the next year, they went four and twelve. And you go, all right, well, that's not his fault. That was a lot of the guys that he inherited. Then the next year, they go six and ten, and you go, oh, maybe they're making some progress. And then this year, they're four and eight. Um, which doesn't really look like any progress. And, and they've been terrible and unwatchable um, oftentimes. So in his time as GM, he's won 19, his team has won 19 games and he's lost 41. When you're the GM, this is how you're judged. You're judged by how well the team does. And, you, you know, I like what Jack said when, if, if Hal Steinbrenner says, um, I agreed with the trade at the time. I'm not going to hold it against Brian Cashman. Uh, so I'm not going to be mad at him if the play, if the trade doesn't work out. I, I understand that line of thinking and I, I respect that line of thinking. But if I'm Hal Steinbrenner or the Maras who own the Giants or whatever, um, my job isn't to be able to be the evaluator of talent and the, the evaluator of all the minor league players and the, and the major league players and, and the draft picks and the college players or whatever the sport is looking at. That's my GM's job, and that's his his job or her job and their staff's job to figure out who the great players are and who the players that you need to bring to the team are and who the players you need to get rid of are. That's that's not the, the owner's responsibility. The owner might say when the GM brings that trade to my table or that deal to my table or that draft pick to my table and explains that it makes sense, I'm going to trust that person's judgment, but, but again – I'm not the expert in that. I'm the expert in owning a team, right? That's that's my job. So I, I like the idea and I like the sentiment that I'm not going to hold it against the person if I think it's a good deal at the time. But I probably think it's a good idea at the time because that person told me it's a good idea because that's her job to figure that out. So I, I think ultimately, I don't know Dave Gettleman. I don't know anything about him. I don't know if he's a good GM or a bad GM. I think in four years when your team's gone 19 and 41, it doesn't look good. And um, I, I think a fan base of a, franchise as proud as the Giants deserves to have uh, a team that's much more competitive, especially because the uh, NFC East has not been very, it's, it's not been a powerhouse. I think they were in second place last year at six and 10. I mean, that's a division that's there for the taking every single year, it seems, and they, they can't do it. So I would think that uh, 
it's time for the Giants to move on. Eventually, it all really should fall on the players at the end of the day. How many times have we seen situations with teams where they change coaches and then the team performs better with the same personnel? Then you know it, you know, it's kind of on the past coach who couldn't get him to play better. Yeah, I mean, but how, what are you going to do? Fire the whole team. You can't do that either. You know what I mean? So, I mean, that's the problem. Jack, I agree with you, man. I, I think Gettleman, Gettleman has done a good job. But when you have uh, uh, decisions to make in coaching, I know the owners go along with some decisions he makes. But like Doc says, too, and in fact, the owners even interview the coaches. But even with Doc's, even with Doc saying, you know, that, that that's the GM's job. And yeah. like it or not, I mean, when George M took over the Giants in 79, right, it took him six years to get to the Super Bowl, but it only took him. And, of course, that wasn't just his, his doing. But it only took him from 79 to 84, which was five years, to get a winning team. We're not there yet with Dave Gettleman. Right? We're not there yet. So I would, I, would, I would give Dave Gettleman another year. I would personally. And that's me knowing a little bit about football. But I'm telling you right now, Jack, this that's not the way it is today, man. I it's mean, not- Giant fans, I can understand they're upset. And the reality hit home when Doc started talking about the exact records, you know, yeah. the last four years. That can't be tolerated, you know, no. those type of records. So what the big question is, what do you do about it? You can't, but I don't want to see ownership react to media. Because media starts forming things saying, oh, Gettleman's job is in danger. And then it just catches on. One outlet reports it, then another and another. And even though it might not be reality, the pressure starts wearing on ownership. So they just want to make a move to shut people up. We talked about this on the last debate show. Uh, and, and you know what? I, I'm not the biggest fan of Aaron Boone. I don't think he's a great manager. But but you do have to give the Yankees credit for sticking with him and giving him another another contract because the media was saying, yeah. uh, let's get rid of him. It, he hasn't done a great job. There was a lot of talk about that. And there's a lot of reasons people were saying that. There's a lot of reasons I feel he's he's not a great manager. But the Yankees are, are saying we're playing the long game. And we, we think that this is the guy that's going to help bring us to that next level. So uh, this is it's a Giants discussion. But if the Giants really feel that Dave Gettleman is their GM, who's the equivalent of how the Yankees view their manager uh, uh, and Aaron Boone, then you stick with them and you say, let's let the heck with what the media says. If, if you as an organization, you have to know better and say, we're going to do the right thing. And if Gettleman's a great GM and the Giants owners feel he is, then you just say, look, you guys might scream and yell about it right now, but I promise you in four years that you're going to see positive results. But Dr. So we'll Yankee did let go of a couple of the coaches. Would they have let go of those coaches if there wasn't media pressure? If everything was just quiet, there's a good chance they would have kept those coaches. Maybe, you know, so. but, 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 but that, I mean, that's just, nobody wants to see somebody get fired or anything no. like that, but that, but that happens year to year anyway, right? The no, coaches come and go and. Doc makes a good point that we don't consider the public doesn't consider, you know, these are people who have jobs. This is their livelihood. And we're calling for them to just be fired. Just put them out there to the curb. What are they supposed to do, you know, to make a living and to move forward? But the way we call out, just get rid of him. Get rid of the bum, you know, just discard him. 
I mean, yeah, there better I mean, be a darn good reason why you're pushing for someone to get fired. Again, I, I again, I really, I, I asked Phil. I said, "What does it take for the Giants to score a touchdown?" For God's sakes, I mean, they can't even do that. And I see bad teams scoring touchdowns all the time. I, I'm very perplexed as a Giant fan, the only Giant fan on this show. I'm, I'm really upset. I don't understand why Carolina and why uh, the Jets and why all these other teams can at least put the ball in the end zone once in a while, and the Giants can't. So what do you say? You get so aggravated, and the defense that was supposed to be good, it's starting to play better now, but was supposed to be lights out, all of a sudden giving up all these points. And, you know, all these players that we got were supposed to be so good, you know, and, and some of them are real good. But for some reason, it's not working there. So who do you go after, Jack? You know, who do you go after? I mean, Carlos says, do you want, do you want, uh, do, do you want the guys get them and make two, the two drop, drop, top draft picks? Let me tell you, Carlos, overall, get them and dress very well. You know, he does. It, that's, that's the truth. If you look well, at let his, me throw, uh, go, go let, let me throw the question out there because again, I'm, I don't follow football closely. Um, but I, I know there was a lot of reaction against the Saquon Barkley uh, draft pick because he's a running back and right. they say you don't want to pick a running back that high up in the draft. So, so I don't know the draft history of the NFL. Well, but, but, but if that's true and he hasn't worked out cause he's gotten hurt. Um, so if, 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 if you're picking a guy from a position that does tend to get hurt a lot, running backs don't tend to have long shelf lives because they get beat up because that's their mm. whole job. Give them the ball and oh, they get yes. smushed. Um, right. uh, did it make sense for the Giants to pick him? Let me, Have other let me teams been that. picking running backs that early uh, over the last five, six, eight, ten years? Let me answer that. That's a good question, how it would have worked out. He couldn't take Baker Mayfield because he went first to Cleveland and the Giants are going second. So forget Baker Mayfield. Forget Lamar Jackson because he was taken at number 32 way down the line and the Giants were picking second. So it wouldn't have made sense to take Lamar Jackson he wasn't considered that elite of a prospect to take it number two overall. Everyone could agree on that. But the two quarterbacks, three quarterbacks were within range. Uh, Sam Donald, Josh Rosen, and Josh Allen. Okay, you could argue. So he could have taken one of those three quarterbacks at number two, and that would have been feasible. But out of the three I mentioned, only one has worked out. Josh Allen, the quarterback of the Buffalo Bills. If they could have a do-over, yeah, you take him. But had they taken either Sam Darnold or Josh Rosen, that would have been a bust. So the chances would have been only one out of three that it would have been successful. Not an if and end or uh, if not a running back had to be a quarterback. Again, going back to that draft, they needed. I'm saying this out of ignorance, but they but were there were there defensive ends or wide receivers or other positions that they could have grabbed somebody? Uh, all I remember is everybody saying, "How do you take a running back in in the first round with the number two pick?" Mm -hmm. Te teams don't do that. If right. that was a common move, and he made that move, and and that seemed to be the best guy out there, then you say, "Okay, I'm just you know." The first question was the perceptions, right? Of who's wrong, the owners or whatever. And, and the influence of the media, what people are saying. I'm just saying, was that a smart move to take a running back? I'm not saying over Sam Darnold, who didn't turn out that well. I'm saying, do you know, do, do teams normally take running backs that high when they have the second? Well, that's a debate. Draft? The best, Saquon Barkley was the best player in that draft. And he was the best 
play. He had a great rookie year. He validated it. He was sensational, but he got, like Max said, he got hurt. Well, you, you know, know, you know Doc, Doc, Saquon is not just a running back. He's a weapon. I mean, out of the backfield, catches the ball, runs with the ball. Um, he's just – he can score from – when he's healthy, when he's at his best, which he hasn't been healthy for a long time, he uh, he can score from anywhere on the field. I mean, if you could imagine uh, a, a almost a Barry Sanders-like player. This is when he's healthy. But he got hurt in his second year, and he's been hurt since. And you can't project that. And I don't think that was, I don't think it was a bad pick. I think, you know, to me, my opinion is when they draft well, they draft in groups, right? They go defense like the Redskins did, like San Francisco did, like the Panthers did. And they stock up on their defense drafts. And then you go offense. And then you want to get the, to me, you want to get the trenches going right. If you don't get the trenches, I don't care who your running back or quarterback is anyway. It's all invalid. If you can't block and you can't stop the other team on defense, it don't matter who you got. So I just think I just think that it was not a bad pick. How's that? It's not necessarily I agreed with it, but I didn't disagree with it. It was okay. And as Tim Marks says, and Tim Marks, uh, a very knowledgeable guy in the Giants, the Mars have been our problem. And the Mars have been our problem forever because the Mars, uh, they at the beginning, they want a GM and they finally got a GM and it, it, they're, they're not as good as football people as some others. Let's put it that way. And, and uh, Doc, let me can't fire the owners. Go ahead. And doc with that philosophy, your idol, John Riggins never would have been drafted high. They would have bypassed him, and he would have went late in the first round. And then you That's would have been outraged if you want. I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have known him back then. I didn't know. Right. Him. Exactly. <laughs> but, but my, my point is the game's changed. And yeah. so I'm just asking the question because I don't have the answer. And I'm just looking up like who the best running backs are right now. This was a sporting news article, Christian McCaffrey, Dalvin cook, Derek Henry, um, Alvin Kamara or whatever, Aaron Jones on the Packers, whatever. Uh, were those guys all first round draft picks? That's just my question. Do you do you draft yeah, well, you running know, backs high? Change where actually your best running back is the quarterback. You know, in actuality, like no one's a better runner than Lamar Jackson. He's a weapon. You know, to run the football. And, and Carlos Carlos Demaris have four Super Bowls and more than two championships to let you know. So, what do you folks? We're going to take our first break for today. We got a lot of topics to get to, uh, as we always do here on the Mac and Jack Sports Show. Some really fun ones coming up too. So, stick with us, and uh, we'll be right back after these messages. You worked too hard, you ate too much, the cheesecake made you greedy. Let your aching head and stomach hear this message from Old Speedy. Alka-Seltzer, plop, plop, fizz, fizz, oh, what a relief it is. Plop, plop, fizz, fizz, oh, what a relief it is. Those speedy bubbles relieve your upset stomach and headache fast. For acid indigestion alone, Alka-Seltzer gold. Oh, what a relief it is. What a relief. You served honorably in our nation's armed forces and you're looking for a way to continue serving your fellow veterans in your community, then join AMVETS. 
each year. AMVETS members volunteer millions of hours at VA healthcare facilities from coast to coast, helping to improve the lives of their fellow veterans through the VA Voluntary Services Program. AMVETS posts and departments also participate in a wide variety of community service projects, ranging from Americanism in our schools to supporting the Special Olympics and Boy Scouts of America. If you no longer wear the uniform today, you can still serve through the AMVETS by joining today at amvets.org. It certainly is a big bun. It's a very big bun. Big fluffy bun. It's a very big fluffy bun. Where's the beef? Some hamburger places give you a lot less beef on a lot of bun. Where's the beef? At Wendy's, we serve a hamburger we modestly call a single. And Wendy's single has more beef than the Whopper or Big Mac. At Wendy's, you get more beef and less bun. Hey, where's the beef? I don't think there's anybody back there. You want something better. Your Wendy's kind of people. Hi, Grandma. What's for dinner? Hey, honey, I'm making stew tonight. Ooh, can Nina come over? I'm not sure about our new friend. I wonder if there's been any drinking going on. Alcohol at her age can lead to so many bad things. I've been meaning to ask you, what would happen if someone offered you a drink? Grandma? This is hard. She's so young. But I know I need to talk to her about it now before someone tries to give her alcohol. If anyone ever does offer you a drink, I want you to say no. I have too much respect for my family, and I don't want to get in trouble. Okay. Really? I promise, Grandma. I love you, too. Okay, how about tasting the stew and telling me what you think? Mm. Some children may try alcohol as young as nine years old. It's not too early to talk about drinking. For tips on how to begin the conversation, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. That's underagedrinking.samhsa.gov. This message brought to you by SAMHSA and this station. When the job is done, this guy will be ready to dig into something mighty good to eat. How do you handle a hungry man? The man handlers. One of the manhandlers is Campbell's Vegetable Beef. Gets a man-sized supper off to a good hot start. Mmm, good. The manhandlers. You talk and they will hear you. Every single time. Now we're getting killed. Yeah, well, Kyle's not here. How come? Kicked off the team. Didn't Tim tell you? Kyle's mother kids got caught drinking beer in the park a couple of nights ago. Really? Yeah. Zero tolerance. He's out for the season. Come on, it's the first offense, right? That we know of. But why should that matter? He knew not to drink. I've made it clear to Matt, that's what we expect from him. What have you said to Tim? Um... Nothing really. You know, a lot of kids try it at this age, so. Yeah, well, a lot of kids don't try it too. I'm not saying that Matt's gonna be this perfect kid, but if I don't tell him what we expect and why he shouldn't drink, how's he gonna know? You think kids that age really listen? <laughs> they never admit it, Bill, but they hear more than you think. Talk, they hear you. For more information about talking with kids about underage drinking, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. This is a presentation of Northeast Streaming Sports. Good morning. You're listening to the Mac and Jack Sports Show on Northeast Streaming Sports.
Good morning, everyone, and welcome back to the Mac and Jack Sports Show. This is a Saturday debate show with Dr. Paul Simmendinger joins me and Jack for our Saturday debate show, as he almost always does. Tomorrow we have the big football show, folks. So if uh, you want a lot of football information, as uh, Jim Jeffcoat joins us as a co-host, we have the Patriots preview. We have the uh, we have the Jet Man on with the Jets preview. We have Robert Butler from Sportscope, who does a great job at um, at breaking down the NFL and other sports. And we also have on the Philly guy himself, Jamie Pags. And even though the Eagles aren't playing, they're in a bio update us on all the Eagles information and what he thinks of the upcoming, you know, the upcoming week after that. So, um, you know, we uh, we've got a lot of comments that will come in. in. Uh, of course, uh, Carlos came in for post Eli. They have been junk. You're all right, Carlos. In 2016, where so Gettleman needs to go. So you see the fans, Carlos being a giant fan, kind of speaking up. So we're gonna we're gonna get to right now. We're gonna go to the uh, uh, the Mets and the Mets uh, are looking for a manager. And uh, I think we all know who the two top candidates are. And I get to start off this debate. So I'm going with somebody that. Nobody's spoken of yet. And we all know the two that, that are up there right now are, of course, Buck Showalter and the former player for the Mets, Beltran, who was uh, coaching. I, I think he didn't. He was part of that firing of all the coaches over there at Houston, and he was in line to be the Mets manager, and they withdrew him. Um, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go, guys. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say uh, Mike Schilt from the Cardinals. He got fired because of philosophical uh, reasons, which means he didn't agree with ownership or management or whatever happened there. I like that to begin with. I like a guy that that will challenge management, that knows a little bit about baseball. He's 252 and 199 lifetime average. He took over for the Cardinals in 2019. They went to the playoffs as an interim manager. He went to the playoffs again in 2020. And last year, very impressive, put together a 17-winning game streak that got him in the playoffs and almost won that if it wasn't for that walk-off to run homer and and the, and the the pitching mistake guy knows baseball knows what he's doing he's a winner you don't have to worry uh buck show walter tons of experience but it'd be a good choice beltran did good with houston was a great player i don't know if a great player can make a great manager uh most times that's not true sometimes it is so instead of those two why don't we throw his name in the hat too let him interview him. Maybe he's a better interview, and he sure knows baseball. He's proven that uh, in his first three years as manager. So I'm going to go with Mike Schilt. I'm throwing somebody else's name in there instead of going with the two popular ones. What do you think, Doc? Oh, if I'm the Mets, it's not even a question. It's just get Buck Showalter in here. Um, I know there's some people that feel and and that, that he did not do a great job with the Baltimore Orioles and um, – Maybe that was a, a a situation that was unwinnable because the Orioles are so far down in the American League, and 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 you had to maybe do crazy things in order to try to get them to to even be able to compete with the likes of the Yankees and the Red Sox and the Tampa Bay Rays and things like that. But what Buck Showalter does is he brings instant credibility to the franchise, right? He's he's a, known as one of the best baseball minds, if not the best baseball mind that's out there. He has managed in New York. He has won in New York 
or at least he turned a franchise around and got them to the brink of winning in New York. Um, he knows how to handle the media. He's a disciplinarian. And I think some of the problems with the Mets that we saw last year was like the thumbs down and the booing of the fans or whatever all that was all about. Um, he's not going to, he's not going to accept that. He's going to set a higher standard of, of professionalism and responsibility for the players. And, you know, if the Mets put out a team that embraces the fans and plays a brand of good, crisp, clean baseball, what's going to happen is people are going to flock to the team and they're going to, they're going to be winners and they're going to look great and they're going to be playing great. And that's all going to be a reflection of the manager. And I think Buck Showalter is a guy who can instantly do that. I'll throw a different name out there. Former Met manager, Willie Randolph, who could probably do the same thing. I don't think Willie got a fair shake with the Mets at the end. And I don't think, I, I don't understand why no other team ever man uh, picked him to be a manager. I'd love to see Willie get another chance, but I don't think that's going to happen. The Beltran idea, I think, is a good one in that, but I would not trust the team at this point to a guy who's never managed before. So I would make a guy like Beltran my bench coach and have him sit next to Buck, learn how to manage, learn what it's all about, and then maybe Buck manages them for two, three, four, five years, and then you move it over to the next guy. But Buck Showalter, without a doubt, is my choice. Okay, I uh, I just want to go quickly over Willie Randolph. I don't want to discuss it because he's one of my favorites. I would have liked to have seen him get an op another opportunity. I can understand why he didn't because if I were an owner, I would be reluctant to hire Willie Randolph because when Willie Randolph's job was in danger with the Mets, he was claiming it smelled like racism, you know, to him. And managers are always in trouble all the time. You know, their job, you know... Outside of a select few, they're always in danger of being let go. And Willie Randolph didn't do himself any favors by bringing up that issue. That's, you know, I'm talking independently now. You know, I'm not representing you guys when I'm saying that. Okay, Buck Showalter is the conservative choice, okay? The conservative choice because the media is not going to criticize the Mets ever. As long as Buck is there, they're not going to talk Let's make a change. It's going to basically shut the media up. It's a conservative choice, and it's a popular choice to make. But, you know, there are a couple of other guys out there, okay? And uh, first and foremost would be Carlos Beltran. He should be the Met manager today if there was fairness. Now, listen, if this were the Boston Red Sox we were talking about uh, a few years ago, whatever, you guys would have said, no, don't hire Alex Cora get Buck Showalter. And how would that have turned out? Maybe they'd still win the World Series with Buck Showalter. But if you were going to say, I'd rather move on from Alex Cora now if I were the Red Sox and bring in Buck Showalter, that would be outrageous. Okay, A.J. Hinch with the Tigers. The Tigers are on the way up. Okay, you know, that's the new wave of managers. Buck Showalter very organized guy, got a little bit of a raw deal, a big raw deal with the Yankees because it should have been him, not Joe Torre, who was celebrated for winning all those World Series. And yes, I believe the Yankees would have had the same success with Showalter as the manager as they did with Joe Torre, okay? But, you know, it didn't happen. And listen, he was with Arizona, and as soon as he left, they won the World Series right after. Do I think they would have won it had they stuck with Showalter? Yeah, probably. But the point is, it didn't happen. Very organized. You're not going to find a smarter baseball man, okay?
But Carlos Beltran could turn out to be a disaster. You bring him back. But he could turn out to be like Alex Cora, A.J. Hinch. And Beltran's paid his dues, not only as a player, but in the front office. I mean, he's ready for the job. But because of the sign-stealing scandal, he lost the Met gig that he was given. And he hasn't been brought back. But Cora's back. Hinch is back but not Beltran. The wild card choice that I was tempted to say, guys, Wally Backman, because Wally Backman has the Met pedigree. He's a real knowledgeable guy. Terry Collins was Met manager for a while, loved Wally Backman. He wanted Wally Backman to join him as a bench coach. Okay. You know, this conversation, this debate, guys, I think we talked about this after Mickey Calloway was let go. But because it's a new era, new manager after Louis Rojas, it's a a good subject to come up with again. And I believe at the time we were discussing, well, maybe one can be a bench coach. So to me, I would love the idea of Beltran being the manager Buck Showalter being the bench coach, or I could accept this, guys. If you want to make Showalter the manager, would he be willing to do it under the condition that Beltran is the bench coach and he mentors Beltran, but Showalter will understand as long as the Mets are successful, he doesn't have to move aside at the end of the year. You know, he holds the job indefinitely as long as it's going well. And Beltran would understand that as well. You're the bench coach. You're gaining experience, you know, and we have an eye on you as to, to bring you back as manager because Buck's an older guy if he steps down. So that's how I feel about it. I, you know, I, I don't know if Beltran would accept that. Why would he? And I don't know if Buck Showalter, why would he accept that? You know, I, I, I really believe that taking Beltran and making a manager, which they were going to do, is a huge chance when the Mets are looking to win. And if you're not going to take Beltran, if you're not going to take Schilt, then definitely Buck Showalter is that bridge to the gap. Now, how can you say to Buck Showalter, well, we're going to keep you as manager as long as you continue to do well. Doc mentioned his time with the Orioles. Listen, he built the Orioles up into a contender. You might not have done so good when you left. I'd there, rather he'd be bench coach, Mac. Beltran would be my choice as manager and show Walter's bench coach. But yeah. if it were the other way around, that's okay too. But why are we why are we focusing just on them when you got other managers and former managers out there that have been winners? The manager, I mean, listen, uh, listen, man, listen uh, I have not seen too many players that have become great managers, honestly. In fact, most players don't become good. Uh, coaches and managers they don't because it's a it's a different to teach something and to do something are two different things and show walter even though he is a great great organizer and and would give the mets credibility is that all you want you got a guy that's just been in the, the league for three years and has just brought and he got fired and he was because successful. yeah but they did they don't say why jack there's no, maybe he wasn't getting play. along with other well, people. Well, maybe that's maybe that was management's problem and not his. Why not interview the guy? I mean, why not see what this guy's about? Three straight years, he took the Cardinals as interim coach. He took the Cardinals to the playoffs and just barely lost. Who did they play? The Dodgers? Just barely the lost. The Dodgers. Yeah. I mean, they almost beat the Dodgers, the best team in baseball. 17 game winning streak. Why wouldn't you why wouldn't you interview this guy and give him a shot? Why not? 
I mean, he may I be mean, the. Let's, new- say, let's say he comes off great in the interview. What are you going to do? The Mets weren't going to call the Cardinals for recommendation. They just fired him. I mean, I understand that. Like, but, but if, he said, comes Cohen's- off great in the interview. You saw his body of work. That should speak in itself. If you're successful, someone you get fired. Sometimes there's got to be a reason. Sometimes it's not your fault. Sometimes it's the people who are firing you. It's right. their fault. I mean, listen, but- Billy, Billy Martin was a great field man. He, he brought the Yankees to the World Championship, but he had a lot of baggage. I don't think Stilt is an alcoholic. I could tell you if Doc wouldn't charge the Yankees at the time, he would have hired Billy Martin knowing Doc. He would have loved what Billy Martin did. He would have been smiling at the press conference, you Doc, but you would have fired him before the year was over because he wouldn't have gotten along with you. He would have done things strictly his own way. All your ideas would have went over Billy Martin's head. He would have known more than you in his mind. And that would have been that. It's getting along with people, which is a big part of the process. I guess Buck Schulter. Buck Showalter, wherever he's been, for the most part, with Baltimore, I my impression was he was completely in charge. So he didn't really have to answer much to people. But with the Yankees, you know, it's Steinbrenner. That maybe was an impossible situation. I don't know what went down in Arizona. But he, I mean, Showalter is the safest choice, the most but, popular but choice. Don't you, don't, you, don't you compare, you do, Cohen to Steinbrenner a lot. <clears throat> Steinbrenner hired Martin. Why wouldn't I mean if you're saying Cohen is a lot like Steinbrenner? No, no. Go ahead. Well, Billy Martin's not available. I mean, maybe Cohen would have rolled the dice on him. I I have no clue. We're talking about problems with management. With Billy Martin had problems with management everywhere he went, and it was his own doing. Why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you? Tell me about Wally Backman. Wally Backman had a managerial job to manage Arizona. But then they found out he had a domestic dispute, okay? And that's really between him and his wife. It's unfortunate, but teams are image conscious, and they were concerned about the women's groups, you know, making a big fuss about the thing and the repercussions that would follow. And, you know, but Wally Backman was in the news about a year or two ago that there was something else that went on a little He's managing the Long Island Ducks in the Independent League now. But it's interesting. The Mets won't allow him to come back as a bench coach or first base coach. And he was, you know, a staple of the Mets championship team in 86. And he's a baseball lifer and a real knowledgeable guy. They won't allow him to come back in any coaching capacity. So there has to be more to the Wally Backman thing than, you know, just the baseball involved. Listen, there's there's always going to be things, and this isn't about Wally Backman or the uh, manager of the Cardinals, but there's always going to be things about all of these guys that we just don't know, and there's there's reasons why they, even going back to the NFL draft uh, questions before, there, there's and the Dave Gettleman thing and, and all of it, there's things about these guys and the players you choose and, and who you pick and, and who you have to run your team that's not out there in knowledge people just don't know about it it's it's there's reasons why teams make certain decisions so um you know i i, I think i i don't think there's anything in buck showalter's history that that could come out in any way shape or form now if it does then we then, then we have something else that we just don't know about but again i think he's just the safe pick he he become he 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 bestows upon the mets instant credibility 
And I think that's what the Mets need. I think they need to have somebody in that dugout that that other teams say, wow, yeah, they've got a great guy over there. And the Mets are are, uh, really showing that they're going for it. The idea of bringing to the Mets a team that really wants to compete for a World Series, a guy who's never managed before, just doesn't seem like the right move. So, so Beltran might be a great manager, but you just don't know that. But and, he was named that manager already. Yeah, I know, but that was that was before they had Max Scherzer and Francisco Lindor. Technically, and, he was met already a Met manager, even though he never managed the game on the field. What about yeah, Wally, the, what about Wally Backman? I, I don't know anything about Wally Backman, but there's got to be a reason that that the Mets are not letting him be a coach and that he's never become a major league manager. And if there's uh, instances of of uh, you know domestic disturbances or or whatever you're saying, like those those are warning flags. Mm. So, well, yeah, again, guys, you know, uh, I see when on on uh, start spreading the news, they talk about it's a new man's game, right? Everybody's new, the analytics, all this stuff. You know, the old timers are kind of done. And that's kind of what I get when I'm watching start spreading the news. And of course I agree with doc Beltran would be chancy because we don't know. Well, Alex so, Cora was chancy for the Red Sox. Buck Showalter, he won with Houston. Buck Showalter uh, was uh, is old school, right? He's more of a gut guy. I would think. Uh, I, just, I, I just gave you guys the perfect, the perfect compromise, a younger oh. coach, a younger, a younger manager that's winning. He's not, why would you? Why would we, we don't know why he's not the manager? But we're, of the but we're not. We're not. We're not uh, talking uh, about uh, that. The Cardinals didn't want. If the manager was at fault, maybe it's the Cardinal organization that said we don't know. Right? We don't know. That. We don't know. We don't know. But you don't want to trash someone either side. You know, hasn't trashed the other I side. I they, I would imagine Cohen would find out. That what what the thing is? He's just become available, and this guy's proven the last the last three years, the last three years in the 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 league, he has won. He's a winner. And I don't know why you. I don't know why you wouldn't consider him. The Angels hired Joe Madden, for example, okay, because he had the track record at Tampa Bay and with the Cubs. And they and that's that was a Buck Showalter type cho- choice. It hasn't worked out with the Angels. I'm just saying. I'm, sometimes I, I, I want to get a really good young talent. You know, I'm giving you one. I'm giving you one right now that just yeah, won the last yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, okay. You see, that's what I'm saying. I'm giving you a compromise, yeah. guys. But I, I know, I know Doc wants Showalter, and I know you want Beltran. So that's that's the end of that. But, but if I the Mets hire Showalter, that would be a good move. Of course I, it would. Me, it would also it would. be a good move. Both would be good moves, Beltran or Showalter. Beltran, I'm not sure about. And Wally Backman, if he could keep out of trouble, you know, well, that would I'm be a giving good you a guy, move as well. I'm giving you a guy that we know, well, that we don't know what happened, but we have not heard that he has yeah. domestic problems. All so. of them are good choices in a sense, yeah. as long as yeah. it's not off the field issues. And as long as I'm a Mets, not a Mets fan, even though I do watch and follow the Mets and kind of like them, I really don't. I really don't know who they should pick. But I would definitely go for a winner. And Buck Showalter is kind of a winner. Beltran, we don't know if it's going to be a winner, but the one I gave you is a winner. And if I was Steve Cohen, I definitely would be interviewing whether I give him the job or not. I definitely would want to find out about Schultz and see what he really, really is about. So, folks, we're going to be talking a little bit about 
the Hall of Fame in Richie Allen. Very interesting player. Really didn't know a lot about him. I did look him up. And I guess I'll have some opinions that may be different than both of these guys. So uh, we'll take our last break for the show here. We'll be right back and talk a little bit about the Hall of Fame and a guy named Richie Allen. I don't know if everybody knows about Richie Allen. I didn't really know about him. But I'll tell you right now, he was a good ball player. And I know that's that's true because I looked him up and saw the stats. So anyway, folks, we'll be right back after these last messages. When you hear the word asthma, you probably think of shortness of breath, coughing, or inhalers. Lots of things can trigger asthma, but the fact is that asthma doesn't just attack, it can kill. But with proper medical management, asthma is controllable. If you experience shortness of breath, wheezing, tightness in your chest, or persistent nighttime coughing, you may have asthma. See your doctor and get the facts. You'll breathe easier. For more information, call 211 Info Line. A message from the Connecticut Department of Public Health. Keeping Connecticut healthy. Schaefer, the one beer to have when you're having more than one? One reason is more than one fermentation. Most brewers just ferment their beer once, but Schaefer is fermented twice. Once to make it beer, and twice to make it Schaefer. The one beer with flavor so fine, it keeps shining through glass after frosty glass. More than one fermentation is one reason, but of course there's more than one reason behind the one beer to have when you're having more than one. We all make choices. When it comes to alcohol, kids make choices whether to drink or not. Bye-bye. Remember, I'm going to Alex's party tonight and sleeping over. Hey, have a seat for a second. Remind me about that party again. And adults make choices whether to talk about it. That's true of parents and every other trusted adult in a kid's life. Kids want to know our expectations when it comes to alcohol and other drugs. They want guidance and honest answers to their questions. And it makes a difference when the message is consistent and part of everyday conversations. So talk with your kids and help lead them on a positive path. Because when you talk, they hear you. For more information about talking with your kids about underage use of alcohol and other drugs, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. I mean, you can see right now, without LeBron, Lakers are, are struggling. Let me tell you about a team I hate, all right? I know the Dallas Cowboys fan is here, so I had to make sure he knew how much I hate this Oh, team. I'm ready. I've often said that 
people who run baseball, they try very hard to ruin it. I'm from Brooklyn. I don't have a problem saying it to his face. Oh, Brooklyn. Hey, is it Good morning, everyone, and welcome back to the Mac and Jack Sports Show, our Saturday debate show, where me, Jack, and the incomparable Doc himself go ahead and debate some of the hottest topics here in sports, sometimes in fun and sometimes for real. we got a real, real subject coming up uh, right now as we're going to talk about a player who kind of got in a little off-field issues, right? He got in trouble off-field quite a bit. Uh, his temper, well, I didn't mean to do that. What the heck am I doing here? His temper uh, kind of got him out in a little bit of trouble, uh, punching a headlight and all kinds of crazy stuff he did when he was playing. But there's no doubt he was a good player. But is he good enough to get into the, the Hall of Fame? And I hope my thing, there you go. And uh, his name is Richie Allen. And Doc leads us off with this one. Whether he believes that Richie Allen should have made the Hall of Fame this year or not. Doc, what do you think? Oh, I, I think that's a different question. Uh, should he have made it this year? I think Richie Allen uh, is going to be in the Hall of Fame. I, the, the tea leaves say that one of these days he's going to get elected. When you look at his numbers, if, if, it, if it's just going to be looking at the numbers and uh, trying to figure it out, I think Dick Allen, because there were a lot of uh, racist things that he dealt with in his career and the cities he played with that, that interfered with what happened on the field. And so when you look at his numbers, they they're good. He had a 292 lifetime batting average. He had 351 home runs and those 351 home runs have to be taken in context because he played during a period when offense was greatly diluted. Uh, but 1,119 RBIs, they're good. They're not great. And and I think what, what people have done is they've looked at those numbers and they've said, Richie Allen just falls short of what a Hall of Famer looks like um, as far as statistically. If you if you delve into his in, into his numbers, you look at the 10 most similar players to his career on baseball reference. Um, only one of those guys is in the Hall of Fame, and that's Larry Doby. And Larry Doby's in the Hall of Fame um, for – not not just because of his work in Major League Baseball, but because of his work in the Negro Leagues and and, and his great play there as well. So of, of, of guys that have played their whole career in the Major Leagues, um, none of the other guys are in the Hall of Fame. If you look at war, which I, I talk about it a lot, and I, I don't believe it's the be-all and end-all statistic, but I do believe it gives you general ranges. If, if somebody's a top 500, if they rank 500th in war, you know they're somewhere around the 500th greatest player. Maybe they're the 400th greatest player, but you can't argue that they're the top 100 greatest player. But so he he just keeps just missing. He's the 205th player of all time by war. That puts him slightly ahead of a guy who his career is somewhat similar to, Bobby Bonds, uh, and it just below another guy, Bobby Abreu. These, these, this is like the context of his career. Um, but I think Dick Allen, uh, when, when people delve into it, 
and they look deeper into it, they say, you know what? He was greater than the sum total of his numbers and, and where he ranks. I see him getting into the Hall of Fame. I think he was a better player than Tony Oliva, who just got in. Tony Oliva ranks way lower. And, and what happens with baseball, and we've talked about this in the past a number of times, football does, I think, a better job of, of getting guys in the Hall of Fame, not just based on stats. I think Joe Namath doesn't rank very high in, in football stats when you look at quarterback stats, but how do you have a Hall of Fame without a guy like Joe Namath? And, and similarly to my buddy John Riggins, right, my favorite player ever. I don't think he has necessarily a great, great body of work. I think he has great moments and, and some great stats. And they say, you know what, that's good enough to get him in. Baseball a lot of times relies so much on the stats and less on, on the players. And so a guy like Gil Hodges, outside of the fact that he was a member of the Brooklyn Dodgers and he was a Mets manager in the 69 Mets, um, those stories help now propel him into the Hall of Fame. But as a player, he even ranks way below Dick Allen. And so Dick Allen was a better player than Gil Hodges. He was a better player than Tony Oliva. And I think when you start comparing him to the players around him, who are in the hall of fame. He belongs in the hall of fame and you compare him to the players who are way below him that he was much better than it's hard to say that Dick Allen doesn't belong in a hall of fame. That includes uh, Harold Baines and Tony Oliva and, and, you know, countless other borderline candidates. He's less of a borderline candidate than them. And, and if you're going to say the baseball hall of fame is an exclusive body, I think the 205th best player of all time probably makes that, cut as being one of the most exclusive players ever so what do you think jack that's the problem with analytics unlike both of you i saw dick allen play i saw him play a lot as a kid okay the ultimate underachiever he wouldn't put out the effort at all dick allen uh he'd hit a ground ball that he would be capable of be beating out. He loafed the first base and he didn't give a darn. Why do people give a darn about Dick Allen being in the hall of fame? If he didn't give a darn to hustle during the time he played. Now, Dick Allen played in a different era from today. I understand that at the time he played, I was playing little league baseball and if there'd be an easy pop-up that you could catch with one hand, the way you do today and the way you should, the managers and coaches would threaten to bench you if you didn't use two hands. And I was a first baseman, and they insisted I use two hands to catch everything. That's as insane as the teachers who insisted you sneeze into your hands and you cough into your hands. See, You know, even though that's more of a germ spreader, that's what you were told at the time. I lived through the Dick Allen era, and there's a reason he got traded and he switched teams. Listen, at his best, he had superstar talent and could perform as a superstar, but would constantly be loafing, would constantly be a distraction to a team, would constantly be high maintenance. You know who I compare him to? I'm not going to compare him to another baseball player. You could throw out all the analytics you want. You could, and I'll talk about the analytics in a moment with Dick Allen. I compare him to Kyrie Irving, okay? Kyrie Irving's time is eventually going to come up where he's going to be eligible for the Hall of Fame. And his, he might not get in or his induction might be delayed. And you guys are going to point to numbers. Well, Kyrie did this. Kyrie did that. He's a Hall of Famer. 
I remember the Kyrie Irving who's hurting his teams. He hurt the Boston Celtics. He's hurting the Nets now. To me, Kyrie Irving is not a Hall of Famer unless something drastically changes going forward. I don't care what numbers you're going to present to me later on because I'm living through the Kyrie Irving era. I understand how he could affect teams negatively, and that's what happened with Dick Allen. As far as Gil Hodges goes, Doc, take a, a, a better look at the stats. The stats are pretty comparable, Dick Allen and Gil Hodges, pretty comparable. And Gil Hodges, I can guarantee you, was much more of an asset to his teams than Dick Allen was. His Dick Allen got traded in the prime of his career by a couple of teams during the prime of his career. They didn't want to deal with all the nonsense that Dick Allen was putting him through. Listen, he was a super talent. You know who I'd compare Dick Allen to if I had to compare him to any one player? You know, uh, maybe Aaron Judge, not with the hustling aspect. Aaron Judge has a great attitude, puts out. But imagine Aaron Judge was totally indifferent, didn't give a darn about anything, but practically walked to first base. You know, if he could go from first to third on a single, would still be at second base. That That's Dick Allen we're talking about. Uh Dick Allen, you know, he didn't draw as many walks as he could have during his career. He never had 100 walks in the season. He came close, 99 one year, 93 another year. Uh, maybe strikeouts are overrated, but he would strike out a ton of times. Listen, the numbers itself don't overwhelm me, at least, to say he belongs in Hall of Fame. 350 home, 351 homers, it was harder to hit home runs during his era acceptable but it's doesn't overwhelm me okay it's impressive close to 1200 rbis are thereabouts pretty impressive but it doesn't you know it's not it's not like a no brainer with dick allen his stats and everything otherwise listen jim rice had to wait for a while okay as far as dick allen being a better player than tony oliva i lived through the years i would take tony oliva over dick allen Tony Oliva was steady and outstanding all the time. Steady and outstanding. Dick Allen was a greater player at peak value when he had all cylinders going. But the problem with Dick Allen, what, what Dick Allen was going, which Dick Allen was going to show up the day of the game? If the Dick Allen was in the right frame of mind, all cylinders were going. He was great. He was absolutely great. But you, did, you didn't know what you were getting with Dick Allen because he constantly wouldn't hustle. And he was constantly a distraction because during that era, if you were like Robinson Cano, didn't run hard to first base, you were really under the microscope. Look, Pete Rose, why was Pete Rose so glorified? Because he was Charlie Hustle. He ran everything all out. In this day and age, if a player ran everything all out, the media would be saying he's putting himself on the risk of injury. Maybe he should slow it down a step. You know, that would be the thought as opposed to then. But uh, no, he's not a Hall of Famer to meet Dick Allen. The attitude plays a lot in this. And the attitude he showed, you know, wasn't good for the teams he was on a lot of the time. Let, let me ask you a question. He's He was, he's not going to, he's not, a regular ballot voter. He he's brought up by committee, correct? Committee. I mean, right. So he lost by one vote. He needed twelve. He got eleven. 
Um, you pick different parts for, for your argument, Jack. First, you say he's a distraction. There's a lot of players that are in the Hall of Fame that were distractions. And I'm not making them comparable to any of these players, but Reggie Jackson was a huge distraction. I mean, he, distra- he was a huge distraction with the Yankees. Um, there's a lot of players that were huge distractions to teams, but they're still in the Hall of Fame. And if that's your basis is, well, the guy's got to hustle and the guy's got to play all the time, probably a, a, maybe half of the Hall of Famers wouldn't be in there right now. So I don't know. I don't think that's a fair argument. I think it's 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 got its points, but I don't think it's fair. And as far as you just saying, well, yeah, he had a 292 lifetime average. And he said he didn't hustle. Well, guess what? He led the league in runs as a rookie with 125. He had 13 triples. He had 80 total bases. Uh, his slugging percentage was 557. He had 201 doubles. Uh, I mean, this guy. Dick Allen could have stole 50 bases a year. He was well, that quick well, and that good a base runner. And the well, most he ever maybe, got, I think, was 20. No, I'm not sure, but I'm just saying there's a lot of players that could have done a lot of things uh, during their time, too, that didn't do it. So, I, I mean, I understand what you're saying, that maybe his attitude wasn't the greatest, uh, but there are a lot of players, again, uh, who had uh, difficult yeah, right. attitudes. Reggie Jackson only had a problem with one manager in his career. That was Billy Martin, who was hard to get along with. And I understand when Reggie came to the Yankees, part of it was the contract he was getting. Plus, he said something that was pretty dumb about Thurman Munson, got him in some trouble. But all he was a distraction, a good part of the first year. But he was World Series MVP when all was said. I'm, 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 not, I'm, not, I'm, not, uh, I'm not comparing accomplishments. I'm just saying attitudes. I don't think Reggie Jackson had the great. He got, he got sat down because he didn't hustle for a fly ball, let it drop, and almost lost the game. I mean, there are instances, if you want, you want to talk like that, there are instances when great players don't hustle. That was one play, and I'm not sure. Well, I think he was just tentative, uh, Reggie Jackson. I don't I, think he deliberately would I don't think I Reggie don't, Jackson. I watched Jack. I watched Reggie Jackson. I watched Reggie Jackson and the Yankees, and he did loaf a lot. I don't care what. Doc, why don't you? Why don't you? But anyway, because Doc, because Doc doesn't cut me off. Uh, the thing I'm saying, Jack, is that I don't think that is one of the standards of Hall of Fame. I think a lot of Hall of Famers wouldn't be in there if we're going to talk about attitudes. The guy had a great career. Sorry. He had a good career. And he got in a lot of trouble off-field. Then there are a lot of players that got in a lot of trouble off-field. You know, uh, maybe part of my thing is, Doc, I mean, Mac, let me say this, okay? Maybe this ba- that's going to back up your argument, actually. I think Richie Allen could have been so much better. I think he would have could have been Mickey Mantle instead of Richie Allen. Had he, you know, really wanted it bad enough, went all out. Okay, that, that's my argument against Richie Allen. He shouldn't be a borderline Hall of Famer with his talent, his skill level. It should have he should have put the issue beyond doubt had he hustled and really put out on the field the way he should have. He shouldn't be, you know, on the brink where you could argue either way. That's my biggest beef with Richie Listen, listen, I'm I'm not doubting that, Jack. All I'm saying is, you know, he led the league in home runs twice. I mean, the guy had an immense amount of talent. He is uh, better than some of the Hall of Famers in there right now. I don't know if he's better than Gil Hodges or not. I didn't look up Gil Hodges' stats. But I'm just saying. They were comparable, I think. Okay, then – you know, he missed one for some kind of movie. He went to horse racing. He got late to the ball. I mean, the guy definitely 
had his problems off field, as a lot of people do, and maybe he had more than some. I'm just saying, if you look at if you look at his body of work, he he belongs in the Hall of Fame. And Fred McGriff hit. Uh, 493 homers to 351. He's not in. Didn't Dave Kingman hit about 452? You know, he's I'm not, not a horse. Shouldn't be a horse. I'm not player. sure. I don't know if Dave Kingman was a fielder or the, or the hustler or the stealing bases and was MVP like Richie Allen was. Richie Allen was the MVP of the league. Two-time home run leader of the league. I mean, he's got some really outstanding stats. So, anyway, he came up a little short again. His doc says he's a little short Getting in the Hall of Fame with with his stats, 250th stats all time is pretty good, or 205th, whatever Doc said, and he come up one vote short of the 12 needed to get in. So, I mean, you know, I think a lot of it has to do with, again, perception and who you like and who you don't like and uh, when it comes to voting. so Everyone I, loved Gil Hodges, and it took him forever to get in, and everyone loved Gil Hodges. So I don't know oh, about that. It, 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 it's it. all the way it works. Very strange. Yes. So anyway. so I, I think what we, what we have here is is there are borderline candidates. There, right. There's good arguments for Gil Hodges. There's good arguments for Tony Oliva. There's good arguments for Dick Allen. There's good arguments for a lot of these guys. Bobby Abreu is on the ballot right now, and he, he ranks slightly above Dick Allen in, in career value. Um, do I think Bobby Abreu is a Hall of Famer? I, I don't. I, I think Bobby Abreu is a good ball player. I don't think anybody ever watched Bobby Abreu and went like, wow, there's a Hall of Famer. The Yankees just picked up a Hall of Famer when they got Bobby Abreu. Um <clears throat> So I think you have to look at the the numbers in context and you have to look at um, the entire body of work and and some players who are borderline get in and some players who are borderline don't get in. I I just think uh, Dick Allen will eventually be in the Hall of Fame. If I had a Hall of Fame vote, I think he comes up a little short. But again, I think Gil Hodges came up short. I think Tony Oliva came up short. I I think a guy like Tony Oliva gets in because he had a, a nice peak and People say, well, if he didn't get hurt, he could have been so much better. But then I don't see that same argument used for Don Mattingly. And and so then then I argue that then Don Mattingly should be in. Um, yeah. Thurman Munson, he died. He he's he's got a great body of work and and his career was cut short. He I think he was a better player than than those guys. I think he belongs to be in. But so when you start uh, bringing in borderline guys it just opens up the argument for other borderline guys and, sure. and there's a lot of borderline guys who dick allen was a lot better than just looking at the stats who are in and that then it becomes a hard argument to say well if he's in uh, or if they're in how can he not be um, and if a guy's a distraction that doesn't show up in stats well that's, that's true bill james that. uh wrote wrote something along the lines of you know uh dick allen Caused his team to lose more games than any other guy, or something like that. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, Bill James backing up my argument. I had yeah, Bill, I, I'll try to find that as, as you guys start oh, the next topic. I'll try Mac, to figure out what Bill James. Bill so. James, that's a great source. I had no idea. Well, there you yeah. go, Jack. So, Bill James. So, folks, this is this is probably the most important topic we're going to debate the whole show, right? We're going to. Uh, let me let me just. Uh, I almost got it here. Go Keep going. I'm sorry. I didn't. I thought I would That's see it right. quickly. That's right. So, you know, a lot of people are Rocky fans, and and we uh, <laughs> we like to have fun with Rocky every now and then. And there was two of his opponents that Rocky fought, right? One he fought twice and one he fought once. 
And uh, it was, of course, Apollo Creed that Rocky beat in the second fight. Barely. He got up first. And he almost beat him in the first fight because he was tearing him up with the bell rang. And Apollo was probably going to go according to the movie. And then he fought this Russian guy. Of course, you know, that's our, the evil empire over there, Drago. And Drago beat Apollo Creed. In fact, I think he killed him, as a, if I remember correctly, because I really didn't like that movie that much. Um, but I did watch it. So Rocky didn't throw in the towel. His old manager wanted him to throw in the towel. Apollo told him, don't throw in the towel. And Drago wins. And, of course, Rocky goes on to fight Drago and ends up winning in Russia, which was which was another uh, – another. I think I turned the movie off at that point. Um, but anyway – we never found out Apollo Creed in his prime. We really didn't learn that story. We heard about it when he was fighting Rocky, right? That he was never knocked down or he knocked everybody down or whatever he was. You know, he was sort of a Muhammad Ali character, right? And uh, so he went to, on to fight Rocky. But if Apollo Creed was in his prime, would he have beaten the Russian mean Drago. So that's our debate, believe it or not, folks, because we're a little crazy in the head. So, Jack, you start off this debate. I'll Jack's Doc been wanting this debate for a long I'll, time. Yeah, I'll let know, Doc go interesting, second. Qu interesting question. I'll, I'll, let, I'll, let Doc, I'll let Doc go second because I'm probably totally different than both of you. Go ahead, Jack. Interesting question. Even though Apollo Creed was a takeoff of Muhammad Ali, you know, he wasn't Muhammad Ali in itself, because Muhammad Ali in his prime, when he fought Rocky the first time, or close to his prime, never Muhammad Ali never would have been as hard pressed by a Rocky Balboa when came down to a split decision. Muhammad Ali would have won with room to spare against that type of fighter like Balboa. But Apollo Creed was a takeoff a great fighter, supposedly unbeaten in 46 fights when he fought Rocky the first time. But the Apollo Creed <clears throat> in his prime against Ivan Drago, okay? It would have been a different thing. When he fought Ivan Drago, it was a so-called exhibition. Even Rocky was saying, do you want to back out? You're kind of getting a little old Apollo to be doing stuff like this. So he was clearly what's known as a shot fighter way past his best. Had no business in, you know, with the big Russian. And Ivan Drago had certain advantages. You know, he was on steroids, this and that. A tremendously trained athlete. He was like a machine in a way. And it was the physicality of Ivan Drago that I think would have eventually gotten to even a prime Apollo Creed. And I'm making a comparison here, guys, to real life. Now, the closest comparison I could make is Willie Pep and Sandy Sadler, okay? Uh, Sandy Sadler, they were featherweights. Sandy Sadler was a freak of nature. The featherweight division goes up to 126 pounds, and he stood something like six feet, 126 pounds. I mean, and Willie Pep would always say, you can't fight guys that big. Willie Pep beat five guys that Sandy Sadler lost to, Yet Sandy Sadler could beat Willie Pepper was a matter of style, his physicality, okay? He beat him three out of four times, okay? And I think that's what would have played out with uh, if Apollo Creed was in his prime, 
It's a different fight from Rocky who got Ivan Drago at the end of the fight. Ivan Drago was beating the heck out of him. They don't make scorecards public in these fictional movies. But I can guarantee you Ivan Drago would have been so far ahead on points overwhelmingly. What did he knock Rocky down? Five, six times? I didn't count. But Rocky went down numerous times. And Ivan Drago never got knocked down during the fight until the end. He got cut badly with one punch, okay? But there were no 10-8 extra point rounds. But against Rocky, there had to be extra point rounds. So Ivan Drago really dominated that fight. Rocky started coming on in the late rounds, making it a fight. But even when Rocky was making it a fight at the end, Drago was hitting Rocky as much as Rocky was hitting him at the end of the fight. And then Rocky gets him in the last round all the way at the end. But Ivan Drago dominated the fight for the most part. I think that's what happens. Apollo Creed jumps off to a lead, sticking, moving, jabbing, using his footwork. These were 15-round fights, not 12-round fights. I think by the eighth, ninth round, Drago's starting to get the Creed, starting to wear him down. I think he stops him late in the fight. The physicality of Ivan Drago, who was very athletic, by the way, extremely athletic as well as skillful. And that physicality, I think, gets to Apollo Creed in the late rounds, and Drago stops him late. Uh, Doc, what do you think? There you go, Doc, a professional card scorer. Yeah, how, how, do, how do I argue a, and, a and boxing, one of the best, and one of the boxing best, Hall of Fame? One of the best predictors of fights there is. So, Doc, give it your best shot. That's all I can say. All right, so here, here's all I can – here's 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 the only way I can argue that Creed would have beaten Drago. We never saw Creed at his best in any of the movies. We just know of his legend and how great he was. He did not properly train for the – first Balboa Creed fight and Rocky heard him in that fight. Right. And, and maybe he didn't come back as strong for the last fight, which ends up being the last fight of his career. So it, it says something like that was the end. And he knew that was the end when Rocky knocks him out. So we saw the end of the career, Apollo Creed. We saw probably his worst fight, which was Rocky two. Um, and we saw him under undertrained in uh in Rocky One. Rocky was able to beat Creed barely in Rocky Two. He lost to Creed in Rocky One and undertrained Creed. And then Rocky goes on to have his career. Uh, he has all those title defenses, and then he loses to Clubber Lang, and then he comes back and beats Clubber Lang. But his trainer, Mickey, says to Rocky in Rocky Three, he goes, you know, I, I've been taking it easy on you, right? Setups? Nah, they wasn't setups, Rock. They was good fighters, but they wasn't killers like this guy, right? That was, that was, but that was Clubber Lang. So, so Rocky hung on uh, and he had um, easier fights to, to have 10 title defenses. And then he loses to Creed, but you have to then assume that his career is now also, his prime's over. Rocky was old when he won the title anyway. He was 30 in the beginning of the first movie uh, when he was asking uh, Paulie for, you know, to, to go out with Adrian. So he wasn't a young guy. So you figure 10 title defenses. How old is he by now? And yet Rocky, at the end of his career, was able to beat Ivan Drago. So if Creed was a better fighter and he won the rematch, the third fight with Rocky, according to the, the one of the Creed movies, that when they had that fight at the end of Rocky three, Apollo won that fight. Um, if Creed's the better fighter than Rocky and Rocky 
not at his prime, is able to beat Apollo, uh, Ivan Drago at his prime in Russia. I have no doubt then that Creed was the best of the three fighters and he would have won had he had a chance in his prime to fight Ivan Drago. Well, Jack, I think I think Jack kind of read my mind and stole a little of my thunder, but I'm going to give you the best I got, right? It's easy to say, Doc, for you anyway, that Creed would have won this fight because we came emotionally attached to Creed. We got to know Creed, right? He trained Rocky. We heard about his his history. and I, But we never knew anything about Drago. We really they didn't. They didn't take us in a personal look to see what Drago was. Drago was supposedly perceived as evil, self-absorbed, selfish, the enemy of not only Rocky, but the whole world, including the United States. For Rocky to beat Drago, he basically had to become a barbarian, right? He had to go over to Russia, climb mountains in, in the snow, run up the top of mountains, you know, kill, kill animals with his bare hands. I mean, he had to do all kinds of things to get in the position to beat this. I don't guy. think Rocky killed animals. Well, I mean, he, he helped the that. horse up when he was training. The horse fell over. He helped see, the horse up. We didn't see the, the unedited, cutted version, an unedited version, Doc. So he might have had to do that. So he had to become an iron man to, you know, to beat this guy. Now he almost beat Apollo in the first first shot, right? The first fight. And we know that Apollo undertrained because that's what we saw. But in the second fight, he started training late, if you remember, because, you know, his wife was pregnant and he had to chase a chicken <laughs> to beat Apollo. But he actually had to go out in the wilderness to beat Drago. Right. So we know it was easier to beat Apollo to chase a chicken than it was to climb that mountain in boots and outrun a car. So we know chasing a chicken would probably physically be a little bit easier, right? So I agree with Jack. I think Apollo in his prime would jump out to the quick lead, right? He's a probably a better boxer. And as we know, boxing is all about matchups. So different people beat different people, no matter if they're better fighters or not. It's just a weird thing. And I think, I think, but it comes earlier than Jack thinks. I think by the fifth round, after Drago lands, lands that huge big punch to the body and maybe follows up to the head, it drains Apollo's. I mean, Apollo can't move anymore. And by the eighth round, Apollo's almost in the same position he was in the first round of the exhibition fight. I think Apollo is worn out. He can't move anymore. And by the eighth round, it's stopped by a TKO. And I, I, think, I think Drago would eventually beat him but he would have been sanctioned because he was shooting up juice. So Apollo would be become the champion anyway. So in the end, Apollo becomes a champion because Drago was caught and banned from boxing from what he was doing. And Rocky in the end ends up becoming a chicken farmer. And that's how it ends. And that's what I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's there's one piece that we just didn't talk about. In, in the movie Creed 2, Adonis Creed, Fights Victor Drago and right. beats him. Well, he had to. He had to. Well, 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 they fought. Wait, wait, one second. They fought twice in the first fight. You know, Adonis Creed was lucky to get a disqualification. Was beat up really bad, but he got yeah. hit when he was on the canvas, and that was. Well, that's so, and then the second are. fight. You know how the Dragos are. They they're just. Mean uh, what I want to do, Mac, 
I would like to put emphasis maybe on a future debate show to see whether Clubber Lang, did he have a big enough punch at his best to maybe knock Drago out? He would have met him head on. And Clubber Lang was a big, big puncher, Mac. That, he could have hit. that may have been the one guy who could have nailed Drago on the way in. I think I think Drago's reach would have beat Clubber Lang, but we we'll never know that. And that might get made later. Maybe their grandchildren will fight down the road, and we'll find out. You know what I think him. we'll all agree on with the Rocky fighters: the worst of the lot, I think, was Tommy Gunn. Could he have beaten anyone at all? Have been competitive, Tommy he Gunn. He beat Union Kane, right? Was that the guy? No, name? well, Union <laughs> Kane wasn't. Tom. You know, could you in imagine? Real life, in real life, Tom, in real life, Tommy Gunn was one hell of a fighter in real Tommy life. Morrison, yeah. Yes, he was. He was a he was a heavyweight contender. Well, and uh I you know, I mean he was, he was Rico was a heavyweight in note called Pedro Lovell, who had fought Ken Norton. So, right. you know, the Spider Rico character was a real fighter, was a halfway decent heavyweight. And Antonio Tarver, right? He was Mason the Line. And Mason Lowe was that. They were uh, thinking of giving that role to Roy Jones, but then, you know, it quite didn't work out. Uh, right. You know, right. they were thinking of giving Kenny Norton the role in the beginning of the movie instead of Carl Weathers. But Stallone thought Norton would have dwarfed him, would have just looked too physical. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And Withers was a big man to begin with. So, anyway. Yeah. Uh, at least Withers, former football player, you know, people <clears> yes, the greatest. For a, yes, sir. It's very while. important that, that Rocky isn't dwarfed like he was in the Drago movie. But anyway, folks, uh, that's it for the show today. It was a lot of fun, especially that last topic. Uh, and I hope you enjoyed it. Tomorrow, again, we'll be back with the. Uh, the big football show with Jim Jeffcoat will join us and we'll have a lot of guests in with previews and we'll break down every game. I want to thank you for joining us. Remember to check out Jack on Monday night on Glove Fist uh, for a show with uh, Frank Letirzo. They, they have a great boxing show. Check out Doc later on that night. Uh, we'll start spreading the news where I think uh, Andy Singer will be your guest host over there then, right? And uh, Again, a uh, great Yankee show. If you love the Yankees and you like baseball, because they cover baseball too, folks, all baseball, but especially the Yankees, they get into and, and they know everything there is to know about the Yankees, except whether they uh, catch chickens or not. So we'll, maybe we'll find that out too. That would be a unique way of, of maybe learning how to field balls in the infield. Oh, how you doing, Dean? Yeah, yes, Dean, I'm yeah. glad Dean came in. So folks, have a great day. We'll be back. Tomorrow with the Big Football Show, join us. We're on Facebook, we're on YouTube, we're on Twitch, we're on every audio platform you can think of, and we'll be on Instagram and Twitter later on. Folks, have a great day, have a great Saturday night, and watch some college football. I think we got Army-Navy on today. Very interesting rivalry. Have a good day, folks.